The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. I don't know how much longer I can hold off a vote, my friends. More and more listeners are joining the Patreon. If they do break away. I would not let this podcast that stood for a thousand episodes be split in two. My negotiations will not fail. If they do, you must realize there aren't enough GMs to protect the player base. We're masters of the game, not podcast. Master Yoda, do you think it would really come to war? Mm. The Dark Times covers everything. Hello and welcome back to the Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite vacation in Jedi Master. And I'm Steven, your favorite podcaster, not warrior. <laughs> We're back after a week, Steven. It's been a little bit of break. Yeah, nice I did vacation. a little bit of a vacation thing, you know, where you like get on a plane and, you know, they say, oh, yeah, just get in this metal tube. You'll come out hundreds of miles away. It's totally safe and normal. Everyone does it. And, uh, and yeah, I, I had a good time. Uh, uh, are you one of those flat spacers, Steven? Is that what yeah, we're hearing? Yeah. You don't, I, I in, not only, you don't believe in hyperspace at all. I don't buy into the. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the hyper lane denial crowd in, in Star Wars. That's great. That's my least favorite force tradition. <laughs> hyperspace denier. If you do your own research. What do you mean I roll a D6 and then I get there? <laughs> that's every, that's every hyperspace homebrewer. Um, uh, unrelated to Star Wars, I had a call from a spam caller today. Oh yeah? And it's like, oh, you're Medicaid, Medi-Cal. And I was like, I don't have those. And then I was like, okay, let me connect you with a, with a agent. And I was like, okay. And some call center somewhere. The guy's like, hi, hello. And I was like, hi, can you not call me here? And he said, why? <laughs> <laughs> and then he hung up. <laughs> why? Oh. And my coworker heard it from like across the room. He was like, what was that? I was like, it was a spam call, but I don't know why he yelled. Why? <laughs> like he was so upset. That was the last person. So this is how these spam call centers work. I, I used to work in one in my, in my teenage years. Yeah. Um, you can only have so many people ask to be put on the no call list before they instantly euthanize you in your office chair. So yeah, you were the last one for the day and they fucking killed him, Sam. I was the angel of death in that moment. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. I'm glad I got that story out because it was so fucking funny. It was really funny. <laughs> I'm glad you shared that. We've got a bit of a big app ahead of us today. So yes. shall we get right into it? Everyone pack snackies. Everyone, yeah, everyone got sure snacks, water. water, do some stretches at the, at the <laughs> halftime. You don't want to pull your podcast muscle. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we got some feedback, per usual, from Lil Literalist on Reddit. Great episode. Something about, like, I love I love feedback of all forms, right? Yeah. Something about great episode with just, like, capital G and a period hits, hits hard. Another Feels good one good. in the books, boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jedi Knight and Sith Apprentice both require Force sensitivity, meaning that droids cannot take them. So Steven was right, even if the droids could take those classes. I knew it. I knew there was something fishy. I just like to be contrarian, Steven. I don't care if droids can be <laughs> Jedi Knights or whatever. Just a droids advocate, you know. Or droids advocate. <laughs> Furthermore, feats and talents can only be reprogrammed if they are neither a requirement for any of the droid's prestige classes nor a prereq for any feat or talent the droid retains. In other words, Sam, you were fucking wrong. My instincts were right. Okay, that's fine. For reference, last episode, for those who don't remember or you're listening to this in marathon, in which case you're please stop, take a break. (laughs) (laughs) Steven and I were talking about I think it was like a reprogramming away prereqs for droid talents or whatever, or something like that. Uh, not important because I was wrong. So don't do it. <laughs> At one point you were talking about using the disc blade as a melee weapon versus throwing it in melee. There was a comment of taking an attack of opportunity to make the ranged attack being preferable to the minus five improvised weapon penalty, but there's no AOOs for ranged attacks in melee in Swissy. Your GM might say that there's one for making use the force check to recall a disc blade, but here's this bit from the FAQ. Do any uses of force powers and the use of the force skill promote attacks of opportunity if used whilst threatened? Some are battle powers, but some require meditation or full round actions. Surely some would promote attacks of opportunity? One of my favorite answers from the FAQ, Q114, because <laughs> it, it really sums up the the design philosophy behind Saga Edition, I think. This this is a this is the Rosetta Stone of, of Swissy's design. Answer. Force powers only provoke an attack of opportunity if your GM says they do. <laughs> if they think some of the longer ones are distracting. Otherwise, they don't. I love it. That's great. Beautiful. Beautiful. Literally, I don't care. Ask your GM. <laughs> For some reason, I thought manipulating an item, like shooting it, meant you get an attack of opportunity. No, I know what we were thinking of, and it's because in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, range of attacks promote attack of opportunity. Paizo strikes again! <laughs> Curse yep. you, Paizo. Yep, yes, indeed. Also, All please right. sponsor us for an exclusive episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, we could do the next uh, P2E book. Um, there you go. Swissies in Saga Edition. So- Lost Omen's Guide to Saga Edition. <laughs> Sagas and hokey religions. <laughs> oh, good. Steven. Yeah? What did you bring for us today? We got, I know. Let's let's well, let's air out the horse uh, laundry. <laughs> you Wow. You just let's, like combined like three turns of phrase. Let's air out this dead horse's laundry. We've got the build bounties ready. They're here. They're, yeah, here. they're right here. Fear not. We have them. They're here. But for now, you have to satisfy yourself with some of Stevie P's licensed uh, content. Yeah, yeah. So I got this big bulky duffel bag here. Hold on, let me let me get this onto the table here. There we go. All right, Stephen, what did I tell you about bringing bulky duffel bags in the studio? Sorry, sorry. I got a really good deal, which is I found it on the side of the road on the way here. I it was very suspicious. It looked like someone had just left it here inconspicuously. I unzip it and l- let's just say that you're gonna like what's inside, okay? Uh Steven, these are Steven, these are high these are high caliber weapons. Yes. Steven, did you did you sneak these past B one three six five six two? 
No, 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 no. I told you. I just found them discarded on yeah, the but, side of the road. But as you know, due to Imperial standards, we have to both get padded down and checked for weapons <laughs> when we enter this booth. Otherwise, you know, mutiny, uh, treason, all that cool stuff. Is that what those guys are here for? You thought they're just giving you a hug when you come into the studio? I thought they filled the water dispenser and they're just really friendly. <laughs> I think they were on break, so I just dragged these in through the back door. <laughs> just a muddy bag, just like a line of mud. <laughs> it's okay. The, the the custodians will clean it up. Yeah, the custodial droids. Yeah. All right, let's talk about these weapons you brought. Yeah, we're talking about rifles. We've got to well, step into Xena Sloth's rifle menagerie. Uh, rifles. What are they? <laughs> well, rifles deal more damage and have greater range than pistols, but you take a minus five penalty on attack rolls if you wield a rifle in one hand, regardless of the weapon size relative to you. Oh, wow. Yeah, right? Rifles were introduced in the core rulebook. No, we're not. <laughs> you almost got me. You almost got me. I thought it was going to be one of those episodes where they just read from the book for a long time. <laughs> People like those. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> people can, yeah, I think there's a lot of licensing issues on making a core rulebook audiobook. <laughs> the range for rifles, point blank range, goes all the way out to 30 squares. That means you can hit any target within 30 squares of you at no penalty. You mean any target within this encounter because no game master is going to make a... <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I've had short rifle range come into play... I think twice. <laughs> and I don't, I think God. they were both outside of like, like strictly gridded combat, mm. like, like initiative count. Like I, I've, they've been used at range, like in, in, you know, more contextual scenes, definitely. But in terms of like square grids, my, my rooms are never bigger than like 30 by 30 at their most extreme. Cause that's, that's so big. If you think huge. about it, that's especially huge. for like real play at a real table. Yeah. And, you know, a question that probably comes up at a lot of tables, because it's come up at mine, but then my, my player did their own research and I was actually really impressed with what they found. So when we hear point blank, we think like, oh, right, a, a gun right up against your belly, right? Like that's point blank range in like military terms. And forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. I'm like half remembering hearsay. <laughs> point blank range in a military context refers to any range that you can fire at a target with your weapon without making adjustments to your optics. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the, the more formal definition of point blank range as I understand it, which is why it's, it's as such here. Short range, which is a minus two penalty to attack rolls goes all the way from 31 to 60 medium is 61 to 150. That's a minus five. And then 151 to 300 squares is long range. That's a minus 10 penalty to attack rolls. Of course, you cannot target anything outside of 300 squares with a rifle. I, I don't even know how you could. How long is that again? 300 times 1.5. That's 450 meters, nearly That's half a insane. kilometer. So I'm contractually obligated to go over a few things when I bring up rifles, and that's auto fire, burst fire, and attacks of opportunity. So it's never too late for a refresher on auto fire, don't you think, Sam? No, I think I probably need one more often than most people. <laughs> right? It's You think you know these things. We sit down and we play it at the table and we're like, how's that shit go again? Oh, actually, it has to hit a, a reflex of 10 before it's half damage. 
that's area attacks, I guess, but still same animal. Yeah, same yeah. same animal. Auto fire is a is a type of area attack. It's very probably the most common in Swissy, if I had to guess. Any ranged weapon that has an auto fire setting can be set to auto fire as a swift action. Some weapons, such as the E-Web repeating blaster, not technically a rifle, by the way, but I left it in, operates only in auto fire mode. Auto fire is treated as an area attack. You target a single two by two square area, make a single attack roll at minus five penalty and compare the result of the reflex defense of every creature in the area. Creatures you hit take full damage and the creatures you miss take half damage. And like Sam mentioned, like with all area attacks, it must meet a reflex score of 10 with your attack roll to deal any damage at all. Autofire consumes 10 shots or slugs and can only be used if the weapon has 10 shots or slugs in it. We forgot this one not even two weeks ago, Sam, and it kind of it kind of shat in your cornflakes a little bit. Oh, yeah. I was going through. Uh, what are they called? The, the clips, the magazines. Oh, yeah. Like uh, energy cells. I was going through energy cells like fucking Red Bulls, you know. Yeah, you had, <laughs> you had your you had your um your beloved repeating blaster carbine, right? Which only holds ten shots, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So yeah. every shot needed a, and it's also auto fire only. So every shot needed yep. a reload. Ah, uh, it sucked. <laughs> don't go, don't go heavy weapons guy. If you can't carry the, the the batteries for your heavy weapon, it's the only advice I have. Don't go heavy weapons guy. If you have a strength mod of minus two. Yeah, exactly. That's the <laughs> advice I give you, dear listener. If you retain anything from today. Or, you know, discover interesting challenges when your game master tells you to make pilots and then sends you on a jungle terrestrial adventure for like a, a full IRL month and in-game week. Listen, listen, I wanted to droidify a power generator like a fucking, like one, like the fucking mule from Deep Rock Galactic. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Plug it into my gun and just walk around with it. It's called a gonk droid, it. baby. Gonk droid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Need more gonk droids. Burst fire is a lot like auto fire, but different. Burst fire is a feat. <laughs> it's a lot like auto fire, but different. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you never heard me say that before? No. It's like, that's in my lexicon. The burst fire feat allows you to use a weapon set to auto fire against a specific target instead of an area. You take a minus five penalty in your attack roll, but you deal an additional two dice of damage. Using burst fire only expends half as many shots or slugs, five instead of ten. This is not considered an area attack, so the damage cannot be reduced by the evasion talent. Wow. Burst fire is a pretty good trade-off for, for certain characters. It's it's a personal favorite of mine, to, on NPCs in particular. I love throwing... Um, Burst fire on just mooks because it's just a great, great way to amp their, their damage output. That's why we're doing the rifle menagerie, by the way, because one of my favorite things about Saga Edition is if you don't want, say you have even less time than usual before prepping a session and you need those interesting mooks or even interesting boss. A well-known secret is that don't find the crazy feet. Don't waste time trying to find the crazy talent for them. Give them a sick Weapon. Just give them a cool r- rifle or, or heavy weapon your players haven't seen before. That enough will make them memorable and honestly powerful enough to Swap make a difference. Swap out the loadout, baby. Seriously. It's one of the coolest things Saga Edition has. You can just drop equipment right in there and it saves a lot of time and makes for some really interesting encounters. Like, would you rather fight a thug straight out of the book or would you rather fight a thug with a heavy slug thrower and energy shield? 
There you go. That's fucking cool as hell. The energy shield that rules. Yeah. Oh man, I've seen the classic. You know, instead of three stormtroopers, it's two stormtroopers and a stormtrooper with an e web or something. Yeah, like that. that's the. I, I think that exact example is given in the core rulebook, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I think it's like instead of four stormtroopers, have two stormtroopers, one with an e web, and then an imperial officer. There you go. Oh man, that's such a good ideal blunt rotation. <laughs> Two stormtroopers, one heavy stormtrooper, an imperial officer. (laughs) Oh, that was funny. And with rifles comes the discussion of attacks of opportunity. So, Sam, wielding a rifle actually makes you unable to make attacks of opportunity. What the hell? Yeah, yeah. Those those default stormtrooper stat blocks, your player soldier who just happens to like rifles, they cannot make attacks of opportunity out of the box, at least not with their rifles. Rifle, more like fucking stifle my creativity and enjoyment of this game. Hold on. Before you start swearing off the whole damn game and a whole class of weapons, a very diverse and 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 load bearing and hard working class of weapons, I might add. Iconic class of weapons. Real blue collar weapons. Yeah, real blue collar <laughs> backbone of America weapons. <laughs> However, most rifles can be or already are outfitted with a retractable stock, a hundred credit common weapon upgrade from Scum and Villainy that can be added to rifles for no upgrade point cost. Zero goose egg or one uh, upgrade point cost for pickles. Uh, French fry. Um, pickles. <laughs> pickles. Did I you mean pickles? To say pickles? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Or one upgrade point cost for pistols. It's a French fry. Pickles. <laughs> it's a move action to extend. I'm a little hungry. It's a move action to extend or fold a retractable stock. I just could not read my own acronym there. That was insane. <laughs> Any rifle with a folded stock does a few things. It can be used to make attacks of opportunity. It is a pistol for the purposes of range and proficiency, and it cannot be braced. We've talked about bracing before in the heavy weapons. Go, go listen to that episode, whatever it is. There we go. Oh, we should start doing that. <laughs> Instead of providing the information all in one place, we should just be like, oh, we listen. We mentioned this episode too. You better go back and listen to that hey, one. <laughs> episode 13 should have been paying attention. Oh, you haven't listened. Okay. <laughs> also, oh, here's a, here's a secret, Sam. I got a secret for you. Come, come closer, listener. Come closer. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all that rifle attack of opportunity drama. Um, no, that no one gives a fuck about carbines, like blaster carbines. They're right there in the book next to blaster rifles. They can just make attacks of opportunity out of the box, and and there are out. They're all outfitted with retractable stocks. The 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 CRB the core rule book carbine explicitly avoids the AOO restriction. Deals the same damage as the blaster rifle and costs a hundred credits less. That's frugality and lethality all in one convenient package. So like if when it just comes to the core rulebook, I don't know when you would wield the blaster rifle over the carbine. When you're um, a fucking stormy and you don't get yeah, any good I, loadouts at all. I, I guess like that's probably it. It's probably NPC reasons. But if you're a player, reach for that carbine. Even if you're no, I always forget that the retractable stock makes them pistols for proficiency. So even if you're a filthy noble, 
that only has pistol proficiency, you can still select from the rifles and just use all that extra money from your wealth talent to buy a retractable stock. And there's your there's your your new gun. You you are not at all limited by the damage ceiling inherent to pistols. I'm just picturing Bail Organa just fucking loaded up. <laughs> you know, Bail Organa with the fucking glicky like. <laughs> he pulls it out from the robe. He's like. Wish Palpy would like episode three. Would, that that kid would have survived if Bail Organa just pulled out the fucking the carbine and just started taking out five oh first members like nobody's business. Oh man, that's good. That's really really good. Oh man. So yeah, I've got I've got some. Some blasters, rifles here that you may not have considered or seen. Uh, these are all kind of classics in their own right, at least in my mind. So uh, I, I hope you enjoy the selection I've brought before you today. First is the double-barreled blaster carbine. Frankly, one of the more ludicrous weapons available in the rifle category. This is from none other than the Legacy Era Campaign Guide. This is the signature weapon of Cade Skywalker. How could you forget? The, uh, the chain-smoking... Obligation ignoring, uh, edgy Skywalker stand in. I we we don't want to talk about He's just like me for real. (laughs) He literally smokes, so Luke will leave him alone, like as a ghost. (laughs) I love Luke continues to visit Cade. Like, hey, you you have this legacy. I'm sorry. I know you didn't choose it, but you've got you have responsibility in your blood. Sorry. He's like, listen, tell listen. I know what it's like to have your family legacy come down on you like a pile of fucking bricks. Yeah. But he's you like, gotta stop smoking that. No! It just gets erased from existence. Shut the fuck up, Grandpa. <laughs> he takes such a big hit that Luke just fucking gets erased from his vision. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. A favorite weapon among those who live on the fringe of society, the double-barreled plaster carbine packs a powerful punch yet is small enough to conceal under loose clothing. Kay Skywalker carries a custom double-barreled blaster carbine modified for him by Bantha Rock, which is not a uh, obscure outer rim genre of music. That is... Uh, <laughs> Fuck off. That's funny. Unlike a normal blaster carbine, the double-barreled blaster is an is incapable of making auto-fire attacks. Can't do it. However, the weapon can be switched to a double-shot setting as a swift action. While in double-shot mode, the weapon acts as an area attack weapon targeting everything in a 2x2 square area. A target hit by the weapon takes full damage, half if the target has evasion. Each double-shot attack consumes two shots. The wielder cannot use any feat, talent, or other effect that consumes more than one shot in a round, including double attack and rapid shot, while using this weapon in double shot mode. So there you've got like an alternative kind of auto fire variant that is not as easily modified by your character options, but conserves a lot of ammo. I, yeah, that fucking ammo conservation alone made me lose my mind over that. Yeah. Double barreled blasters have retractable stocks. Like all carbines, the double barreled blaster can be used to make attacks of opportunity, even without a folded stock. A double barreled blaster requires a, power pack to operate after 50 shots the power pack must be replaced god bacon barbecue bacon cheeseburger like double barrel blaster power pack like jesus fucking christ the double barrel blaster bacon cheeseburger deluxe from jacksters double barreled blaster barbecue bacon cheeseburger barbecue bacon (laughs) cheeseburger (laughs) barbecue cheeseburger oh god 
It's a medium weapon. It costs 1,200 credits. It deals 3d8 damage. Yes, has a stun setting. Single shot rate of fire. Weighs 1.9 kilograms. Come on, Rodney. Why not two? Type energy. (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea that's his fault. Somehow this amalgamation of, of firepower is is restricted availability. It's it's not even that hard to get. It's inaccurate, cannot fire at targets at long range, but God, why would you ever? Uh, it's also an area attack weapon, as we said. Next up is a, a personal favorite of mine, something I have not actually used in game yet, but have I keep telling myself I'll bring it in and then I forget. The Interchangeable Rifle System, a very excellent uh, homage to the Republic Commando video game. The DC-17M Interchangeable Weapon System, also called the DC-17M ICWS. Uh, one guess what that stands for. In clones we trust? Wait, yeah. fuck. <laughs> In clones we shoot? Yeah. <laughs> it's a weapon unique to clone commandos. The varying demands of the battlefield and the clone commandos' atypical missions led Blast Tech to design this weapon to fill three different roles. The basic configuration is a standard blaster rifle. Additional attachments, however, can be added to transform the weapon into a sniper rifle or an anti-armor grenade launcher. Clone commandos appreciate the versatility of the ICWS, which reduces the weight they carry by reducing their number of weapons. An interchangeable rifle system can be switched among three modes, standard blaster rifle mode, sniper rifle mode, and anti-armor mode. Switching weapon modes is a standard action. It's a rifle, it's a medium weapon, costs 4,500 credits. This will set you back quite a bit, but it is worth it. You'll see in just a sec. Weighs five kilograms with military availability. Blast rifle mode, like we keep saying, just 3d8 damage, has a stun setting, optional auto fire mode, energy damage. What's, come on, what more do you need? Now, the sniper rifle mode is interesting. When the ICWS is changed to sniper rifle mode, the weapon includes a targeting scope. So there's no penalty to attack at short range. However, the wielder takes a minus two penalty against targets at unmodified point blank range. The damage goes up to 3d10 and down to single shot fire mode with no stun setting. So no penalty at short range, but then you do get a minus two at targets at point blank, which is interesting. Anti-armor mode. When the ICWS is in anti-armor mode, the weapon functions as a single shot grenade launcher that fires special anti-armor rounds in a three square burst radius. Each weighs one kilogram and costs 400 credits. In this mode, the ICWS is considered a heavy weapon. Damage is 4d6 with no stun setting single shot, slashing damage for that shrapnel, and it's an area attack weapon. Next up is another personal favorite of mine. I think we had a player character use this to great effect uh, in in an early campaign. The Zeril Night Stinger. Used by assassins, the Zeril Night Stinger is a sporting blaster rifle designed for sniping at long range, and instead of using an energy cell for ammunition, the Night Stinger uses special canisters of exotic gases that produce powerful shots invisible to the eye, so a sniper can fire the weapon without revealing their position. Imperial snipers make use of an unusual tactic, firing at special redirection crystals to create confusion and divert attention to another location. Each gas canister contains enough charges for five shots and costs 100 credits. I love this weapon because it is the ultimate murder mystery weapon for your campaign. And I also love it because there aren't many cases where equipment and weapons make such a cool pair as the Zeral Knight Stinger and Redirection Crystals. Together, you can set up some absolute horse shit 
that your players will be perplexed by. And it's so cool. The damage output's a little sad, but you are. The, see, I'm glad you pointed that out. Of course, it's a medium weapon. It costs 1500 credits. Only 3d6 damage, though. That's ouchies. Now, the trade off, of course, being is that it is invisible, baby. Untrace- shit doesn't leave nearly no untraceable. <laughs> yeah, an untraceable sniper shot. You're going to have to be pretty good if you actually do want to be dropping guys with this, particularly at lower levels. But if someone let you have this lower levels, I don't know what their fucking problem is. <laughs> no stun setting. It's all fucking kill. Single shot, 4.5 kilograms. Energy damage. Availability illegal. Even legality isn't a problem if you're doing it in the name of the Empire. It's true. That's correct. So that's rifles. You got the double barrel blaster carbine, the interchangeable rifle system, and the Zeral Night Stinger, each of which I think can add a lot of spice to an encounter if you just happen to drop them in. Hell, with the Zeral Night Stinger, I think you can milk a whole adventure out of that. Not to mention rifles. Come on. Gotta have them. Gotta shoot them. Players want them. You want to play them. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We're not over yet, Stephen, but I appreciate you bringing this duffel bag of high caliber weaponry into our studio. Oh, yeah. I'll just see if I can flip these after the uh, after the episode's over. Maybe make some yeah. quick creds. Maybe Green Doug will buy them off you for a short. How could for I forget a, for about Green Doug? Oh, man. All right. Let's send you guys out to the break. Stephen. Hey. Steven, it's the part of the episode where we thank people for listening to Dark Times Podcast. Thank you to everyone out there who's my voice is reaching and and also all y'all in the future who aren't listening yet. And all of you who somehow through some twisted paradox are listening in the deep past. <laughs> um, That's the magic of podcasting, baby. <laughs> we do a lot here at the Dark Times Podcast LLC. Uh, not not a real LLC, by the way. That would have been a great way to get some of that COVID money. You know, those are loans, right? You have to pay those back. No, most of them are forgivable and already forgiven. What would we have used? That's so much money. What would we have used that for? Um, <laughs> publishing company. There we go. Pub- finally publish and develop Swissy 2. We always appreciate any support the show receives and support comes in great many forms. Just as there's many listeners to the dark times podcast, there's many types of support that come in, whether that's recommending a podcast episode on a, on a form or on Reddit, whether that's just leaving us a nice little comment or sending in some sick freaking content for in our email, dark at gmail.com. We love it. And by doing so, you are fueling this lovely Swissy community. No one expected Swissy to be here. Certainly not the people who made it. They told us. They're like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and it's because of your efforts and because of your dedication and your passion that this podcast and this game continues to grow. And we thank you for that. If you wish to support the podcast monetarily, you will have our everlasting gratitude and you can do so on our Patreon. We have a five and $10 tier. The former gets you a sticker after three months of patronage. The $10 tier gets you a sticker and a shirt. Um, there's also some other content on there. There's some exclusive maps. This was also the home of my hex crawl guide before it went public. It though it had a year, a full calendar year of exclusivity before, before going public. And there's definitely some more things coming down the pipeline circa this summer that you want to keep an eye on our Patreon for. 
And you get to vote in any uh, current or future bounties. Of course. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. The uh, We have our lovely build bounty showcases where Sam and I get to show off the best builds submitted for our theme contest. However, patrons get their own poll where they get to vote on their favorite. And the winner receives, well, all the notoriety our patrons have to offer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the favoritism of four people. <laughs> <laughs> Fourteen. No. And with that, uh, uh, yeah, let's let's fucking send yeah, them keep, back keep out short to the sweet. break. Catch and release this episode, Stephen. <laughs> Plop. That's the sound of you, listener, being re- let off the hook of podcasting and gently returning back into you the water, <laughs> so I don't get my fishing license revoked. Your podcasting license. Oh, oh God, we need a license for this. <laughs> you have to take like a thirty-hour online course. <laughs> Podcasting ethics. All right, so back to the show. Steven. Whoa. Our outlaw bounties Whoa. are in. <laughs> the the, the bounty. You hear that, Steven? It's the bounty bantha coming in. Ooh. All the, what does he have tied to his, his Oh, he's his heavy hair. laden today. <laughs> what have you brought us, bounty bantha? Uh, Steven. As you can recall, I know it was two weeks ago. It was so long ago. Yeah, might as well not be in my memory at all. Our current bounty is was outlaw-based. You want to go over the prereqs for that? It was level 12. Yeah, absolutely. So outlaws had to be level 12. They had to at least have one level in the outlaw prestige class. We were inspired to do this after we did lawmen and peacekeepers, the build showcase beforehand. So now here are their counterparts. Before we go into the specifics, I just want to talk about the Outlaw ex- class exclusive feature, Fugitive. Outlaws must stay one step ahead of the authorities and bounty hunters or risk capture and death. An Outlaw's experiences have taught them to be fast on their feet. Once per encounter, starting at second level, an Outlaw can move one additional square whenever they use the withdraw action. Thus, if an Outlaw has a base speed of six, they can withdraw up to four squares, three for half speed, plus one for this ability. This bonus increases by one at every even level thereafter, plus two squares at fourth, plus three at six, plus four at eight, et cetera, and so on, ad infinitum. Love it. Now, just, I just want to get that out of the way because some of these, all these builds have this. And whether they all utilize it, we'll see. It's one of those things where I didn't want to repeat myself 30 times, you know, so I just figured I'd throw it on the front there for us to No, enjoy. good. That was smart. They do that shit in books and stuff. They repeat themselves. Well, I believe they use footnotes. 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 I, oh, I've, right. never, I've never heard the word said out loud before. I've only read it. So <laughs> I believe that's how it's pronounced. Footnotes. <laughs> uh, first, we have a submission from Mr. Butts. Known patron, Mr. Butts. Known patron, Mr. Butts. He's got a horse in this race. Mr. Butts has brought us Desk Jockey. <laughs> spelled D-E-S-Q-U-E. Oh. J-H-A apostrophe Q-U-I. I didn't get it until you read it that loud. That's very, <laughs> very funny. That's great. I presume human. Uh, Mr. Butts did not specify, but from reading the build, it made me believe it was human. Noble 4, Scout 4, Outlaw 4. Mr. Butts says, I built him this way with the intent of creating a character who absolutely hates combat, using everything at his disposal to avoid getting shot. He carries a basic blaster pistol, a portable computer, and a toolkit. Desk Jockey is an extremely unfortunate Imperial Data Analyst. After discovering some discrepancies with the annual budget, he found himself catching the attention of the wrong Imperial officer who wrongfully branded him a spy. 
In an attempt to clear things up through the proper channels, Desk found himself an unwilling accomplice in a rebel attack, as the rebels simply mistook him as an ally and quickly ushered him aboard an escape vessel. It's a really, really funny backstory. It's, it's like the Mr. Bean of <laughs> Star like, Wars characters. It's like if Mr. Bean was in Star Wars, it really is. Desk has attempted several times to turn himself in and explain the gross misunderstanding, but every time ends in similar circumstances, solidifying his position with the rebel leadership and further away from being able to clear his name with the Empire. And a desk jockey, a quote here uh, written by Mr. Butts from Desk Jockey. Please stop shooting at me. I'm just a civilian. Oh, that's his, <laughs> his lovely catchphrase. So I've highlighted some talents uh, from Desk Jockey here for Stephen to read out. As always with all of our build showcases, the meat and potatoes is in the description in the links there. It's that's the place you got to go to see all the good stuff. We just give you a taste of it here, like a sample. Oh, yeah. For radio quality, we're just keeping things short and sweet, giving you the gist of the build. But you can and should on your lunch break or when you have a little downtime at the doctor's office, scroll through these. You know, it's fun to look at stat blocks. And these are certainly no exception. Desk Jockeys, of course, has a hidden movement. Prerequisite improved stealth. You're very good at hiding when mobile. You take no penalty to your stealth check when moving your normal speed. This talent also applies to stealth checks made when piloting a starship. Improved stealth, which gives you a re-roll on any stealth check, but the result must be accepted even if it's worth, also applies to piloting a starship. Uncanny instincts once per round whenever an opponent successfully deals damage to you. You can move one square as a reaction. This does not provoke attacks of opportunity. I love uncanny instincts. It's one of my favorite. And the upgraded version, opportunistic defense, once per encounter, whenever you would use uncanny instincts, you can forgo this movement and instead increase your reflex defense by five until the end of your next turn. Very cool. So it's all Desk Jockey's whole deal is I'm hiding. Don't shoot me. And if they do shoot him, he's like, oh, my God, holy shit, they shot at me. And then his his reflex defense goes up by five. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Thank you so much, Mr. Butts. Here's Zloy Krolik's Mookie the Lookout. Mookie, I love Rodian names. Mookie was born <laughs> and raised on Narshada in the Rodian Enclave. While he was not the fastest, strongest, or the brightest, he did have keen eyesight and a strong sense of loyalty. This earned him a spot in the street gangs roaming the Undercity. He made a name and place for himself as a lookout during criminal jobs and for keeping an eye out for the occasional security patrols and the more common raids by other gangs. With Mookie on the watch, his crew usually had warning of trouble coming their way. The other thing Mookie was good at was knowing when to cut his losses. Whenever a gang or a heist went south, the heat was on, and Mookie had moved on. He worked his way up the criminal food chain, from low-level street gangs to smuggling rings and onto criminal big time. First in the Shadow Collective, then into the Crimson Dawn after the Collective fell. Later, he was with the Black Sun. While he lived a life of crime, he wasn't well known to any central authorities. His usual M.O. of being the lookout kept him from garnering too much attention. He was known to be gang-affiliated, but never had any bounty put on his head. Mookie won't be the big boss, but he will be nearby. He'll keep an eye on things, watching for trouble or for infiltrators trying to sneak into the gang's hideout. He might be working as security in a backroom casino or gambling den, using his veridicator to catch cheaters. He could be on the street, keeping an eye out for those asking too many questions about his employers, or he'll be on watch at a remote base scanning for intruders. He'll make a good wilderness tracker. When in combat, he'll either throw grenades or use his blaster to aid another. Mookie will use his stymie talent on his turn as a swift action or when an ally successfully damages an opponent if he hasn't used it yet that turn. Seize the moment talent. 
He carries numerous perception-enhancing gadgets and will use whatever piece of equipment that best suits the job at hand. He gets two rerolls for perception, heightened awareness, and acute senses, using the last one rolled. The informer feat allows him to use perception in place of gather information rolls, classic, and the unwavering resolve feat gives Mookie a pl- I finally understand his name. Gives Mookie a plus five insight bonus to will defense against deception and persuasion checks. Don't spoil it, Stephen, because Mookie is a medium Rodian non-heroic eight scout two scoundrel one outlaw one. He puts the mook in Mookie, the Mookie in Mookie, the Mookie in Mook. This is the first time we've have we ever gotten a non-heroic submission for a, a bounty? And Sam, I think you're right. I never considered non-heroic submissions but we've never really disallowed them very cool and the name finally clicks with me very very clever as always <laughs> i love this character as a concept it, just this it's a great npc for a, a campaign or anything like that this is like module level stuff right here i think just just it's the versatility the where you could find him just about anywhere in any encounter very well designed Perception plus 20 can reroll twice, but must accept the final result. And stealth plus 16 or plus 21 with the necessary camo poncho. Equipment bonuses to perception come from the ambient oral amplifier. That's plus five to eavesdrop heat sensor, plus two to detect hidden enemies, machines or hazards that generate heat. The surveillance detector gives a plus 10 to locating active or passive surveillance devices within six squares of the detector. Miniaturized sensor pack, that's plus five uh, I think to like, is that to detect like electronics and like weather and shit in a kilometer so, yeah. radius? Yeah. Plus five standard action. And the veridicator plus five to sensing deception or sensing influence or for gambling against other players. I always forget about the veridicator. I love the veridicator. It's great. There's seize the moment, uh, an outlaw talent, not to be confused with the provocateur talent tree talent of the same name. Thank you. Saga edition. Once per round, whenever an ally successfully damages an opponent, you can take a swift action as a reaction. Very powerful. There's also, of course, Stymie from the Clone Wars Campaign Guide. Once per round as a swift action, you may designate a target within 12 squares of you in your line of sight as the target of this talent. Until the beginning of your turn, you can cause that target to take a minus five penalty on all checks made with a single skill. Great against Use the Force. Whenever I have Stymie, I'm always choosing Use the Force as my skill. Um, but what if I'm trying to stop the players from fixing a door? The mechanics. Oh, then then you definitely use it on their mechanics. Yeah. Or well, use computer. Go. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lloyd Krolik, for the incredible non-heroic submission. Yeah, Sam, what's next? I'm glad you asked, Stephen. Up next is Nick the Flesh Devourer's Agent Tacitus. Or Tacitus, maybe? T-A-C-I-T-U-S? Tacitus? What would you say? Tacitus. Tacitus. Okay. Tacitus. Nick said, here's my entry for the outlaw build bounty. Agent Tacitus is a rogue Zerka. Zerka? Zerka? Zerka. Zerka? The C is silent. A rogue? Well, why the fuck is it there then? (laughs) (laughs) Homie can't handle world building. (laughs) Agent Tacitus is a rogue Zerka operative, highly skilled in the art of covert infiltration and slicing. During his time at Zerka, he was awakened to his latent force abilities and has used them to his advantage, allowing him to manipulate both organic and droid minds to his advantage if his deceptive talents somehow managed to fail him. He has since left Zerka Corporation after being indicted on several counts of tax fraud, flooding <laughs> Zerka's internal servers with terabytes of illicit hollows to cover his embezzling of corporate funds and wow. then his escape. 
He is not meant to get into combat, as his talents lie in non-combat applications of use of the force and covert infiltration and slicing, but he has managed to cobble together something resembling a lightsaber, just an archaic light foil, but refluffed. He also uses an ascension gun to give himself greater mobility while also carrying a heavy blaster for when things get really hairy. TLDR, tax evasion, but with the force. I love it. This is a really, really creative take on the prompt. He's a a petty criminal, former corpo on the run with some latent force abilities. Really, really like it. He's a medium human, noble two, scout one, Jedi four, corporate agent one, saboteur two, outlaw two. With the special qualities destructive and fugitive. Destructive, I believe, gives you double damage on objects. And unintended cal- objects, I'm pretty un- sure. Unintended yeah. objects, yeah. He's got impose hesitation as a standard action. You can make a persuasion check targeting all opponents within a six-square cone. If you equal or exceed the target's will defense, the target loses a swift action on its next turn and cannot take full round actions. I love, this is my one of my favorite mm. talents. It's just so cool. Th- that's a corporate agent, right? Oh, it is a corporate agent, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then we have Master Slicer. You may choose to reroll any used computer check made to improve access on a computer, keeping the better of the two results. And then Gimmick, you can issue routine command to a computer as a swift action. I know what you're thinking, Stephen, but what about use the force? Well, our dear friend Agent Testus here has technometry. For a standard action, you can make a use the force check. Compare the result to the target's will defense. If the check equals or exceeds the target's will defense, you discover one piece of information contained within the target's memory as determined by the access information application of the use the force skill. For every five points which you exceed, uh, you can learn one additional piece of information. Alternatively, if you target a droid and, su- and succeed at your use the force check, you may choose one of the following effects and apply it to the targeted droid. The droid senses are jammed, allowing you to make a stealth check against the droid until the end of your next turn, even though it's aware of you. The droid is denied its dexterity bonus to its reflex defense against your next attack made before the end of your next turn. Or on its next two turns, the droid does nothing except flee from you at top speed. I, it's just great. It's great action economy manipulation, all that cool stuff. I've had people do that to me before. Make you flee for two turns? Ugh, I feel that. Thank you so much, uh, Nick the Flesh Devourer, for bringing us an incredible just concept for a build. And also a great, weird, mixed Jedi outlaw saboteur corporation. Yeah, this is quite the unique character. I re- really love seeing stuff like this. I cannot handle the name of, of this next one. It's just, it's so fucking funny to me. This is the exact kind of like shit that really gets my like sense of humor. Yeah. A, a name like this. Last but not least, Steven. Lil Literalist's Thin Mungo. I was unsure whether Thin is like a title or a name here. The way it's written out makes me think it's a title. Like, like, like Stretch or like, a, <laughs> you know, like, like other like goon names. You I know? just think of like Mungo Jerry, but like really, really thin. <laughs> so dumb. That's great. That's great. Steven reading from the email. Some outlaws are loners either because of mistrust, painful experiences or repulsive nature. Thin Mungo is none of those things. Why? If he didn't have a crew alongside him, he wouldn't even know what he would do. Maybe become a real crook and become a politician. <laughs> <laughs> the crews that Thin Mungo runs have a higher success rate than most outlaw groups, whatever the job is. Shipjacking, smuggling, kidnapping for ransom, illegal salvage, whatever is illegal and doesn't have a high probability of getting shot at, at least not getting shot at too much, Thin Mungo is willing to try. And when the law eventually catches up to him, Thin Mungo always manages to cut a deal and get out of prison quickly, gathering up another crew to wreck mayhem on civilized society. 
He's a medium power one, scoundrel one, noble five, scout one, soldier one, outlaw one, crime lord three. This build relies on fighting with allies. It's a support build, pure and simple. It's also great at getting away and living to fight another day. Little Literalist continues, reasons why allies love this build. Ask not what you can do for Thin Mungo, but what Thin Mungo can do for you. Little Literalist, I got to know where, how and where you came up with the name Thin Mungo. It's, I it's love just, it. It's it such feels a like good it's name. meant for me somehow. Oh my God, they announced Thin Mungo at Star Wars Celebrations. <laughs> He's going to be the Ahsoka show, Steven. Then Mungo's returning to the canon. <laughs> oh my god! Can you see? Can you fucking see it? Like Ahsoka strolls up to some of the seediest fucking place in like, the world. She's like, "And who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and who might you be?" <laughs> and he's and like, "This guy's thinning his Mungo right there." <laughs> What's Crowd it look goes like? wild. What's it look like? <laughs> <laughs> the old Jedi like you shouldn't be in a place like this. <laughs> Holy shit, it's Thin Mungo! <laughs> it's weird they credited him as himself in the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> and then he's there thinning his Mungo. What's it look like to you? Come on. Steven, why do people like Thin Mungo? As a reaction, once per round when the enemy moves, an ally can move. That's called anticipate movement, baby. And as a reaction, once per encounter, when hit by an enemy, all allies within six squares may attack the attacker. That's Stand Tall, one of my favorites. Swift action, an ally moves their speed. That's Impel Ally 1. Two swift actions to give them a standard action, probably to attack with advantage. Impel Ally 2 and Master's Orders. Plus two morale to attacks and skill checks. That's Inspire Confidence uh, and being a Powon. Plus two insight bonus to attacks from Born Leader and being a Powon. How can this build handle all these actions? Well, once per round, when an ally damages an enemy, can take a swift action to seize the moment. Actions at the beginning of combat, Ambush Specialist allows you to treat the first round as if it's a surprise round, with an extra move action from Bad Feeling and an extra swift action from Surprisingly Quick. Do not try to thicken this Mungo. <laughs> Don't surprise him with any treats or snacks. Because he's just gonna get the he's gonna get an extra move action and an extra swift action just for trying. <laughs> Things that allow this build to survive. The standard tactic is to fight defensively and allow an ally to use the plus four to attacks with rerolls for master's orders to deal with enemies, and the plus four on attacks on the ally's own turns as well. Fighting defensively grants a plus ten to reflex, because he's trained in acrobatics and takes no attacks of opportunity. Plus two to fortitude from Warrior Defender and plus eight to will. That's from Warrior Defender, Resolute Stance and being a Powon. Holy shit, Sam. Just, just from fighting <laughs> defensively, get a plus 20 to your defenses spread out across all three. No one said it was fair, Steven. We the just plus said it was 10, Mungo. plus two and plus eight respectively to reflex fort and will that I've never even heard of that. The will bonus also applies to the damage threshold Fight Through Pain, another personal favorite of mine. That is smart. I never thought to do Wary Defender, Resolute Stance, and Fight Through Pain. That's potent. That's a plus eight to your damage threshold right there, just just, just for standing. All for, all for thinning your Mungo in public. <laughs> I don't know if this Mungo can get much thinner. Unstoppable Force adds an extra screw you to Force Sensitives. We love to see it. If there's a Force user who's looking to be an issue, Stymie helps take him down a peg. No mind trick to surrender for this build. 
Lola Trillis later amends, ah, I forgot to put this in the email, but this is an outlaw build contest, so I should justify why that one outlaw level is important. Higher reflex from class bonus and seize the moment combos really well with impel ally one to allow incredible repositioning of allies around the battlefield, including hit and run tactics. Yes, what an incredible collection of builds this week, Sam. I like them. They're all subtle. They all really understand the essence of the outlaw prestige class, and I could not have asked for a better showcase. this. And week. they'd all sell you out for 200 credits. <laughs> it's, yes, they would. You can from the thinnest Mungo to the, <laughs> to the to the mookest mookie. Stymie was a popular one this showcase. It's just the best scoundrel talent right next to Gambler. Fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> That's great. Well, Steven, how how do the what well, oh man, where where are we gonna find these great builds? So they'll all be linked in the description with uh, w- with all the information we received about them, including their stat blocks. Uh, you told me there's more than what we talked about in this episode. Quite a bit more. And everything you need to run them in their games this week. You've got a session this week, I hope. God, imagine not playing Swissy. There's going to be a poll on the Patreon for our patrons, and you could sign up just this week and drop $5 and drop your vote and leave. That's fine, too. That poll will close April 23rd at 11.59 p.m. Pacific, and then we'll come back that Wednesday the 26th to tell you about who won the poll and can give congratulations to the patron's favorite. Who's the scummiest of the scum? Yes, I want to see who's the scummiest of the scum. And of course, as you all know, we are slowly but surely working our way towards the ultimate build bracket, which will be quite fun, I think. We'll have our own little March Madness. Absolutely. Uh, well, Stephen, that was a, what a great episode. You know, I'm going right? to, I'm going to pat ourselves on the back early this time. We usually wait till <laughs> after the show comes out and we finish, but honestly, good job, Stephen. Good job. Do you have any trivia for us this week? I do. And this one was actually forwarded along to me from little literalist. I saw this on Reddit and then he showed me and I was like, oh yeah, I didn't consider it, but that would make a good, really good, um, trivia for the show. So, you know, be George Lucas, mid seventies, you are. <laughs> Are we telling our trivia in green text form now? <laughs> Be me, George Lucas. <laughs> Did you know, Sam, that um, George Lucas's direct actions almost sparked a violent military conflict? What? Yes. I mean, were the prequels that bad? <laughs> yes, but that's a different story. <laughs> What could he have done that possibly could have sparked war? So most of the sand crawlers in A New Hope were miniatures, right? But yeah, there was a IRL big background prop that George was working with in the southern deserts of Tunisia. So they're building this. And as you if you know your history, this is quite a fraught time for this area of the world. Gaddafi, who, as we know, is a quite important and fraught figure in the history of Libya. Had long suspected that Tunisia was going to launch a military attack against him, saw old Georgie boy building his sand crawler in the desert and immediately began mustering military forces on the border where George was working. Gaddafi demanded that Tunisia cease its military buildup. When George caught wind of this, he immediately complied with Gaddafi's demands, 
removed the sandcrawler prop and <laughs> no violence was wrought at, at the at the expense of George W. Lucas. <laughs> George W. Lucas. Wow, Stephen, usually uh, the aftershock of art isn't so immediate. <laughs> <laughs> usually like oh the bad God. things happen because of your art, like two years down the line, not as you're making it. But that's not, you know, it's, it's rare that the creation of art accidentally sparks a, a potential <laughs> geopolitical conflict. I'm just glad that didn't go like that could have gone a lot worse. We could have not gotten Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, we could. have. Yeah, it could have been a serious disruption. George Lucas could have been arrested as a war criminal. <laughs> yeah, like it, it would have been bad. It would have been pretty bad. Well, I'm glad it didn't turn out that way. And we have a, a somewhat funny story regarding yeah. it, I guess. And like the 50 years retrospective, it's definitely funny. But back yeah. then that would have been terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mr. Mr. Lucas, um, there's, there's there's a there's a Libyan army here to see you. What are you doing? What? I'm sorry. I I, I want to get your coffee, and there's these guys. They won't let me go. They're they're with the Libyan military. Oh, oh my god. Oh. Thank you so much for listening to the Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast. The show is produced and edited by me, Sam. Steven's my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Tell us you told a friend about the show and tell your table about the show and tell us you told them. And we'll shut you out in the show. Steven, do you have a quote for us this week? Many Bothans died to bring us this information. <laughs>